0: everybody, welcome to episode three of Literary Disco, the Sweet Valley High episode. I'm your host, actor, filmmaker, and major book nerd writer Strong. Thanks to Julia, we will explore the complexity, the pathos, the far-reaching thematic resonance of the first Sweet Valley High book. And finally, we will introduce a new segment called Classics Corner with Two Ks, <laughs> Which we will explain when the time comes. <laughs> Joining me are my co hosts essayist and radio personality, Julia Pastel. Welcome, Julia. Hello. And novelist and critic, Todd Goldberg. Hello, Todd. Hello there. So stick around.
1: Hi, guys. Welcome to Literary Disco Um, This is Julia And I'm here with Ryder and Todd Hi guys Hey
2: Hello (laughs) Ryder apparently is also starring in a porno movie at the moment Hello (laughs) Hello Hi Did you order this pizza?
0: (laughs) Well we're about to talk about Sweet Valley High
2: Double love Uh. (laughs) Sorry Sorry Julia we interrupted you You're introducing this this fantastic segment that Ryder and I can't get enough of
1: This is sacred territory All right, (laughs) So um Um, We are going to talk today about Sweet Valley High, written by Francine Pascal, or Pascal, I don't really know, um, who is a real person. But all of these books were ghostwritten, as I'm sure no one is surprised.
2: All all of them, including the first one, were ghostwritten?
1: Um, I'm not sure, actually. The first... One could have been her. Yeah, she
0: must have written this first one. Not like there's a really detailed voice anyway, so.
1: Well.
0: <laughs> it's not like we're going to be able to. We should, she we must should now have. read all 180 Sweet Valley High books and figure out which, <laughs> if we can recognize Francine's distinctive
2: voice. You, you, you very rarely find a book like, like Sweet Valley High. I think, I think there's Moby Dick. There's Great Expectations. <laughs> where you see the style and the, the allegorical nature as well. <laughs>
1: Great. <laughs> all right. So anyway, uh Sweet the Sweet Valley series started in nineteen eighty three. Um it ran for about twenty years with a whole bunch of spin off series, including Sweet Valley Twins, which is about when they were in eighth grade. Oh yeah. Sweet Valley Kids, Sweet Valley University, and then there were all these, you know, like special scary ones and mysteries and really stupid
2: ones <laughs> really uh, stupid ones <laughs> as opposed to what we read yeah this is just mildly stupid
1: oh we, we're too harsh already i got i have real questions guys real
2: questions. i have real questions too about america
0: <laughs> so wait i want to i have my first question i think maybe is julia why did you have us read this book because this was your idea so why did you initiate the sweet valley high project
2: the Sweet Valley High Project sounds like some sort of nuclear thing we did in the 30s or early 40s. It's the Sweet Valley Project. Don't tell the crowds.
1: <laughs> Um, I had, I had read them when I was a kid. I had read a couple of the Sweet Valley High ones, but I was a serious, serious nerd. And, like, when I was very young, I read the ones where they were kids or in middle school. So, um, And these were, like, the cool, racy ones that you graduated up to when you were maybe, you know, eight or nine. And I had remembered reading a lot of them and Ryder, we've talked about this. All of my peers read them too. So when I I saw the re-release in the bookstore, I was like, oh, let's see how this holds up. (laughs) I read it and I was basically shocked by the content. So I thought I'd put it to you guys. I've also never talked about Sweet Valley with anyone but other girls, so I thought it would be fun for you guys to bring the masculine perspective into this. So what's your perspective?
2: A surprising number of rapists live in Sweet Valley. <laughs> <laughs> no, date rapists. <laughs> date rapists,
1: Or no, I mean, even
0: weirder than that is the fact that uh, Jessica claims date rape in order, <laughs> uh, on a poor innocent guy Right, I mean, like the it's, she she falls in love with the boy that her sister's in love with, and so when she can't get him, she claims that he was date raped. Oh, it's so disturbing. I just couldn't. But even beyond that, let's just talk about the opening. I so I started this book and I was like, okay, like if I was going to make fun of if if I was going to make fun of a girl's book, like if I was gonna you know mock write a mock girls book and write like all the sort of stereotypical girl things, I would talk about, you know, weight and clothing, mm-hmm. and all these things that, like, in my mind would seem way too over-stereotypical. We're all in the first, like, three pages. Like, everything like... Three, first the three first words? Th- the first three <laughs> words are like, I'm looking at myself in the mirror, I'm so fat, I wish I was as beautiful as my sister, I wish Wait, I had may, clothes like my I sister. Wait, might I propose something?
1: You may. Why don't we do a little reading? Oh, that would be lovely. We should have a Jessica, an Elizabeth, and a narrator. Who wants to be who? Todd, who did you most identify
2: with? Well, I identified with Todd... The date rapist. or <laughs> 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 alleged date rapist. The, like, well, <laughs> one of two date rapists, one alleged, one actual date rapist. So I I, I feel like I was, um, well, number one, I feel that I was abused.
1: <laughs> okay, writer, you be Jessica. Yeah. Todd, you be the narrator. And I'll be Elizabeth when she comes in later. Uh, and All we're right?
2: starting at the beginning?
1: Yes.
0: And scene. Oh, Lizzie, do you believe how absolutely horrendous I look today?
2: Jessica Wakefield groaned as she stepped in front of her sister Elizabeth and stared at herself in the bedroom mirror.
0: I'm so gross. Just look at me. Everything is totally wrong. To begin with, I'm disgustingly fat.
2: With that, she spun around to show off a stunning figure without an extra ounce visible anywhere. I'm gonna fucking kill myself. She moaned again, <laughs> this time holding out one perfectly shaped bronze leg. I- I'm telling you, this is a little close to porn. I'm sorry, that that's not in the narration.
0: <laughs> isn't that isn't that the grossest? I swear, I must have the skinniest legs in America and the bumpiest knees. What am I gonna do? How can I possibly go to school looking like this today? Today, of all days!
2: Jessica stared at herself in the full-length mirror and saw a picture of utter heartbreak and despair. But what was really reflected in the glass was about the most adorable, most dazzling 16-year-old girl imaginable. Yet there was no stopping Jessica Wakefield when she was in this mood. (laughs)
1: <laughs> All right, let's just stop it there. <laughs> That's
2: enough. Good Christ.
1: Yeah, so the opening, I too was stunned um, by the ridiculous... You moaned. I moaned in horror. The ridiculous stereotyping of what it's like to be a girl. And here's a fun tidbit. Um... Uh, I I think I told you guys this before, but uh, Sweet Valley kind of came back on my radar a few years ago. They updated the books and they uh, downsized them. It always just dis- it describes them in every single book as a perfect size six, and then when they re-released the books, they changed it to a perfect size four.
0: No, oh, that's yes. so messed up. And out. there was
1: a huge feminist uproar about changing body types and like vanity sizing and all this this big. Hoo-ha with it. So one of the reasons that I re- that I did want to do this, in all honesty, is to see how if we could decode why these are so resonant. I mean, like there's a ton of horrible books in the world, as we know, and a ton of big series like this. But these, uh I mean, literally everyone I knew read them. And Ryder, you had the same experience while you were reading it and carrying it around. Yeah, right? I had
0: lots of people girls that i would know you know women that i would never expect to have read these books would be like oh i loved those books and then i had guy friends who were like oh yeah i read those books too because their sisters had them lying around and you know mm-hmm. they were just sort of ubiquitous everybody had these in their house and everybody read them um and i don't know i mean I, I was thinking about even just that opening it's so weird because it's like it sort of gets to have it both ways you know because it it's relatable in the sense that she's looking in the mirror and thinking she's so ugly, but of course she's perfect looking. So it's like, she's the perfect looking girl, which is what everybody wants to be. Every, you know, little girl reading this book wants to be beautiful and wants to, and then also she's so insecure and plagued with, you know, all these problems about her. And so that's perfect too. It's like, and then, then the fact that there's two, two twins also allows them to be sort of like, you know, there's the evil character who's more rebellious. There's mm-hmm. Jessica, who, right? Jessica is the one that's more rebellious. Yeah. So she's yep. the more rebellious one who gets in trouble. And then there's the one who's, you know, smarter and more into books and writing. And so I think there's there it's it's a it's a really good way to sort of um, capture an audience, because as, as a reader, as especially as a young girl, I think there's some part of one of these twins that you can identify with. And then there's a part that you can sort of wish you were more like, you know, like if you're if you're a goodie. I mean, chances are, let's be honest, chances are you're reading a book as a young girl, you probably identify more with Elizabeth and that's perfect that she's the more sort of book, you know, the nerdy girl, I guess, in a way. And then but she's still beautiful and she's still popular, but she's smarter.
2: And so everyone you loves probably her.
0: identify with her, and then you have the other sister, and you get her, like, crazy adventures where she's driving fast cars and getting <laughs> in with the bad boys. So you sort of get to have it both right. ways, and it's like – and that's who you wish you could be. And, that, you know, it's it's just it's, – it's a really great formula for cheese and for awfulness, and, you know, I mean – I <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I was thinking because I did read the Hardy Boys when I was a kid and I was trying to think like how that relates and it's similar. It's always two characters, right? It's like two brothers. And and I don't remember the Hardy Boys well enough to know if they were even distinct personalities between them. But at least with the Hardy Boys, there was, was there? I don't remember. Todd, do you remember? I did don't you? remember. I, I, don't I don't remember I just remember the Hardy Boys as two brothers, you know, and of course right. I had a brother, so I sort of identified, but they were always solving and mysteries. And you fought crime,
2: so that yeah. helped. Well,
0: that was the thing. There was always this sort of, you know, creepy house down the corner where somebody was, you know, stolen something or whatever i feel like there was much more at stake whereas in this book it's weird i mean what's at stake really is just who's more popular who gets the boy and that's
1: reputation reputation
0: right reputation is
1: yeah i think it's that's absolutely true i mean i i felt extreme identification with elizabeth mm -hmm. and i i remember when i was reading them like i i was just frustrated by jessica i didn't understand why she like i was so dorky i didn't even want to be jessica i was like Get out of here, Jess! You're ruining everything.
2: I mean, there's this bizarre dynamic in this book, and and maybe Julia, you should you should uh, give a little plot summary. But there's there's this idea that lies will not only ruin these girls' reputations at high school, but also the actions of their parents, the sex lives of their parents will ruin these children at their school as well. No,
0: I think I think that these books have a really conservative bent i mean i think that's obvious yes. it's like oh yeah. it's very safe it's very white it's very privileged and it's very suburban upper 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 class i mean like they talk about mm-hmm. when they talk about cars and clothing the they're Patton's talking about and the... yeah they're talking about rich people's problems and really yeah. and and so jessica even as her sort of bad bad girl image is so safe you know and mm-hmm. and I mean, there's the whole thing with the town drunk. T- well, anyway, Julia, why don't you give, why don't you okay, give a, plot do a plot summary, summary so we can, yeah, so people know that haven't read it and don't
1: have to ever read it. There's these two twins, Jessica and Elizabeth, and they also have, I don't even have to look at it. I think I just know all this information. Their parents, uh, her mom's like an interior designer and their dad is uh, a lawyer of some kind. And so the family drama is that the the girls suspect that their father is having an affair with Marianne West.
2: A sexy divorcee. The worst kind of woman.
1: (laughs) Right, right.
2: She's no longer in a marriage. She's evil. So that's the
0: family drama. And then at the high school. Well, no,
1: there's also Steven. I don't know if they get to this one in this book, but there's like a mysterious relationship that their older brother is having and they can't figure it out. Yeah,
0: no, no, that's in this book. Their brother, they think their brother is with the town skank. Essentially, right? They're afraid because their brother's off to college, and now he's been returning home recently, and they suspect that it's because he's hanging out with a girl of
2: bad reputation. Correct. Yeah, and she's got a bad reputation because uh, her family is poor. Exactly. And
0: her, and her dad's a drunk. Her dad. And her is dad's the town a drunk.
2: drunk. Right. Be- only because their mother died of leukemia and therefore they were raised by a single father and so the daughters right. became these horrible sluts right oh it's
1: amazing right so okay so that's the family drama which is basically downright disturbing the school drama is a little more palatable to me uh, until it gets to the date rapey part um but Elizabeth has a crush on Todd Wilkins, but Jessica, you know, she's man-hungry. She wants 100% of the attention, so she basically lies to Elizabeth, Um, and so she gets Todd to go with her to the dance, but for some reason, Jessica goes out with a bad boy. The
2: junior town drunk Rick Andover, I believe his last name is something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so she sneaks out of her house And gets in the car with Rick. And Rick takes her to a bar called Kelly's. Where, for some reason, they aren't carted at the door. They order Boilermakers. Rick drinks one. Becomes a raging drunk. Begins to sexually assault her in in a booth. And the cops show up. (laughs) The cops show up in (laughs) record time. The cops show up by breaking the speed of sound. One punch is thrown. Suddenly, sirens play in the distance. A wormhole opens up, and the LAPD is there to to bust up the uh, the fight.
1: Then the big deception in the book is that the town gossip sees this happen, and she thinks it's Elizabeth because
0: Jessica tells the cop that it was Elizabeth. Or yeah, Jessica basically in, in, pretends to be her sister when she gets in trouble.
1: Even though everyone in the uni- in the Sweet Valley universe knows that this is something that Elizabeth would never do, everyone believes this and shuns Elizabeth.
0: Yeah, you're right. I didn't realize how much of this is about reputation. I mean, that's all it is. It's like the yeah. whole th- the whole threat is that Elizabeth will be known as a bad person or that yeah. she will be known as a slut or, right. or whatever.
1: Or that their family will from the family drama stuff. It's completely 100% about reputation.
0: You know, it's very fear-based, this book. Like, I feel like you're in this safe little Sweet Valley community, but then there's always evil people right over there. You know, the evil poor people that go to the bars and bad boys that drive too fast and want to have sex with you. And it's like, it's such a fear-based book. There's like always this sort of forays into like the more dangerous real world out there that Sweet Valley High and our parents and our money and everything can protect us from. Well, you know, the
2: weird thing about this is that the whole time I was reading, I thought this is taking place in the South in 1956. Right But it takes place in California in the 1980s
1: What's really interesting about this is like This is the precursor to The immediate precursor to 90210 mm-hmm. To Gossip Girl To all of oh those uh, To um, Orange County oh, see, You right. know and those are all By the way the same city The same neighborhood You know what I mean This is like evolving idea of what <laughs> Southern California is like In, in American culture That's interesting that culture. it's always
2: Southern California
1: Always. Because it's the height of coolness.
2: Well, and you know, the the back of the book says, one twin is good. One is bad. Both are California blonde. No. Does it really say that? Yeah. Yeah, It says that. We we didn't really discuss enough the bizarre love triangle that exists, but it's just such a bizarre book because nothing actually happens
0: on the page. Yeah, it's all gossip. It's all speculation and lies and you know date rape accusations
2: that's <laughs> <laughs> so weird there's there's an actual date rape that nearly happens and then jessica pins a date rape on todd oh yep. it's so weird just to <laughs> piss off her sister she basically it's accuses this perfectly nice guy of raping her it's not a bad strategy it almost works. <laughs> it <laughs> it did almost she work.
0: <laughs> she got Todd to go to the dance. With her. To her credit, it actually was ingenious. Brilliant. Oh now god. That we, now that we've smugly ripped apart Sweet Valley High, here's my question: Do okay? So like, we, really, what we're reacting to is this sort of weird sanitization of the world that this book accomplishes, right? And it's it's obviously bizarre. And but like you were saying, Julia, this has always been done like with TV shows. I mean, I was on a TV show that did this
1: for years in the same sort of way. At what I think the real legacy of this book is honestly is twilight is this Um. like very moral vision of the world
0: and those are huge hits i mean we're talking about sweet valley high and twilight are i mean they're some of the most successful book series of all time both of them so there's obviously something about this that's not that does appeal to children and that is accurate in, in in as far as an author like if i'm going to write a book and try and be as successful as possible writing a ya book that that follows these sort of conventions and is this safe and is this sanitized and is this sort of conservative it it clearly works is that just the way that kids I mean do you need this as a stepping stone like i mean julia you did read these books and you've obviously become a fully functional interested adult who you know isn't super conservative and isn't you know it's not like your moral universe was shaped by this book it was just you were able to play a little bit immorally with this book you were able to explore the concept of a bad girl or whatever in jessica and it was safe and it was okay for right. you you know it didn't traumatize you the way that like i read stephen king and it probably screwed me up a little bit or
2: whatever yeah, you know? I, I agree <laughs> stephen king traumatized me
1: i have a number of thoughts i i mean i think that safe and sanitized isn't exactly correct the it's the moral judgment upon the bad characters that mm-hmm. it makes these book interest books interesting. Right. Nobody wants to yeah. read about Elizabeth writing for the newspaper. Right. no one You're right yeah. so but Elizabeth freaking out because everyone thinks that she drank a beer is really that <laughs> is that has impact and is fun to read um but I wouldn't i mean. I don't want to over-dramatize it, but I wouldn't go so far as to say is like I wasn't traumatized by these books. It doesn't feel traumatizing, you know what I mean, at the time when you're reading it. But there's definite—I can't believe that I absorbed this. And there's definitely, like, self-image issues that—I mean, I knew off the top of my head, perfect size six, you know, blonde hair, like, dazzling—oh, yeah— like it's completely memorable to me because with all of these big series books, like the descriptions of the characters are repeated every time. Mm-hmm. So it's like drilling it into your head of this is how people behave, this is what people want. And I think a lot of women are like have at least a tiny grain of self you know self-doubt or body image issues or whatever from books like this. And another part of what I think might be traumatizing is this idea of like of practicing judgment on characters and people. You mentioned this, Todd of like, mm-hmm. oh let's all let me point to people who are weird or different or drunk or whatever, and we'll judge them. And that's that is right. really like what's happening in your brain when you're reading them. However, I will say that as a reader, just for sheer reading, and this is the argument people make for Twilight and things like that too. I learned to read so much, so fast, all the time from reading crappy books. But
2: the weird thing is, while you were reading those kinds of books, I was literally reading Stephen King. Like, I wasn't reading Young Adult. I was reading The Shining, you know? I
0: was, too. I read It when I was 10 years old. And I think about that now, and I'm like, and there's about 11-year-olds getting killed. (laughs) That must have really fucked you. I don't up. know what that. I don't know what that says about me or what that says about our culture. I'm not sure. I just <laughs> it's know you. that. It's not
1: <laughs> you. Yeah. Um, well, I really liked a, a lot of different books at that time. I mean, I liked popular fiction very much, but I also read things like *A Tree Grows in Brooklyn* and a lot of girl-centric books. One of the problems with young adult literature or that tween time when kids are reading when they're eight, nine, ten is that girls often get. Pushed into the sidelines of reading this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, I wanted to read books about girls because I was a girl and a lot of those books were really bad. (laughs) Well, the thing is, there were other popular fiction series that weren't as stereotypical or trite as Sweet Valley. I mean, a great example is The Babysitter's Club. My friends and I talk about that all the time. That was basically about a bunch of girls of that age starting a small business babysitting and the the books are really funny i reread some recently they're funny because they're dealing with all these problems that are small business problems i mean i run a small business now and <laughs> it's frightening how it compares so, for example, in one of the books, there's some other girls who start a rival babysitting company and undercut them in price, but their quality isn't as good, and the Babysitter's Club has to work through those kind of issues together.
2: Open market versus free market?
1: All right. Well, um, yeah, that's, I, I, don't know, I don't think there's much more to say.
2: Well, one, one last interesting thing is, is that the titles of the first three books are also clearly titles of Cinemax porn movies. Double love secrets and then it concludes with playing with fire. Oh God's (laughs) sake.
1: I'm glad that you guys experienced what it is like, what it was like to be a girl in nineteen ninety-two reading this because you know, people read this. A lot of people read this. And I'd like to close on my favorite line
2: in the book, which is on page
1: eight, which is this sounds like a job for my new tuxedo shirt. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh Which to oh me is the greatest god. line
1: ever written. And that and
2: tuxedo shirt is a huge part of this, the first 30 pages of this book. <laughs> oh my wait, god. Yeah, wait, it
1: gets better. Could I wear the pants too? And the little bow tie? <laughs> <laughs>
2: There is so much about this book that is fetish material for pedophiles I can't even begin to tell you. <laughs> oh my god. Not that I know how pedophiles think.
0: Everybody, welcome back to Literary Disco. We're now going to try a new segment that we're calling Classics Corner with 2Ks, uh, which might be the worst title ever in the history of titles, but it's something that Julia came up with, and uh, we're going to run with it.
1: Mere uh, seconds ago. We're,
2: we're going to have t shirts also for sale on Cafe Press right after the show. So you'll be able to run out and get your Classics Corner with 2Ks t shirt.
0: All right, so the object of this is that we're going to try and make a game out of taking a classic book and having one of us uh, write uh, write a fake quote from it, and then offer to the other two uh, three quotes, two of them that are from the actual book, and one which is <laughs> the entirely made up one. And uh, the guessers will try and figure out which one is made up. Uh, so I'm going first as the writer this time, and uh, I chose kind of probably the wrong book, but uh, I went with Moby Dick.
2: <laughs> Uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> I, went, I went big. <laughs> start <Jesus>. somebody, start <laughs> humble, right? <writers. Yeah>. Start <laughs> humble.
2: <laughs> start with something none of us have read. Also, clearly.
1: Uh, no, uh, no have you don't read
0: it. I have. Oh, you're not supposed to admit that, Todd. That, that, that's one of the w- books you're supposed to lie about.
2: Well, read. I, I've lied about it in so many places that eventually I got caught. And the LA Times asked me if I'd actually read it, and I said no. And I was going to read it in 2011, and then the LA Times asked me if I read it in 2011, and all I could say is that I downloaded it onto my iPhone, which I did do, and then not read.
1: Well, it's really good, so you should read it in paper form.
2: I love, uh, I love the whaling industry. Big fan, so I'm looking forward to, uh, to reading it. Big, <laughs> big fan of the allegorical whaling novels. So, <clears throat> To begin,
0: quote number one. The sea had jeeringly kept his finite body up, but drowned the infinite of his soul. Not drowned entirely, though rather carried down alive to wondrous depths, where strange shapes of the unwarped primal world glided to and fro before his passive eyes, and the miser merman, wisdom, revealed his hoarded heaps, and among the joyous, heartless, ever-juvenile eternities, Pip saw the multitudinous, god-omnipresent, coral insects that, out of the firmament of waters, heaved the colossal orbs. He saw God's foot upon the treadle of the loom and spoke it, and therefore his shipmates called him mad. So man's insanity is heaven's sense, And wandering from all mortal reason, man comes at last to that celestial thought, which, to reason, is absurd and frantic, and Wheeler Woe feels then uncompromised, indifferent as his god.
2: So wait a minute, just so I'm clear here, Pip is in also Great Expectations (laughs) and this
0: book? Found you
1: out, (laughs) Ryder!
0: And... Ed, there's a Starbuck in this book as
1: well. All right. Well, that's where Starbucks right. comes from.
2: Exactly. Wait, wait a minute. You uh, guys are blowing my mind. Okay. I Star- thought Starbucks is... I thought Star-Buck came from Battlestar Galactica. All right. I'm ready for quote nope. number two. Nope. Right. Nope. Okay.
0: First quote May. number two. The quote number two
2: goes. It <laughs> <laughs> goes a little First something two. like this. Moby Dick.
0: <laughs> and he's a little Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> quote number two. The ferocity of its size and shape could only be outdone by the saintly horror of its color. foretelling telling the dreamlessness of sleep in a fresh fallen snow and the silence of 5,000 years during which the ocean's shroud hath peeled back only to return again. If a glimpse of the whale's palimpsest whiteness, teething among the waves, could stab a man in the back with despair, was it any wonder Ahab seized upon his fiery hunt? To shirk that pilgrimage, once called, would mean nothing less than surrender to a soullessness Sounded already in his ivory stride.
2: Oh, I saw I saw Ivory Stride in concert in nineteen ninety nine. Oh, they were so good they opened up at the Roxy for Jane's Addiction. Great quote number three. All right, <laughs>
0: and this shut one, up. This, Todd. Sorry. This, this, this one I might have to do a little bit of a pirate voice. Oh.
2: This is. <laughs> Evolving very quickly. Go ahead. I, <laughs> aye, aye It was that accursed white whale
1: <laughs> Are you Irish? <laughs> you
2: no. Know,
0: Ahab could have been you know
1: <sighs>
0: I'm not even gonna try and tuck it. Alright, I'm just gonna read it straight. Aye, aye. It was that accursed white ra- white whale that raised me, made a poor pegging lubber of me forever and a day. Then tossing both arms with, with measureless imprecations, he shouted out. Aye, aye. And I'll chase him round Good Hope and round the Horn and round the Norway maelstrom and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. And this is what ye have shipped for, men, to chase that white whale on both sides of land and over all sides of earth till he spouts black blood and rolls Finn out.
1: Ooh. Dun, 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 dun.
0: All right, who wants to go first?
2: Uh, Well, Uh, can I just say that Either number three is real or it's from Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan. But go ahead, Julia.
1: Um, I think it's number two. I think number—I mean, number two is Ryder. There's mm-hmm. two real ones and one fake one, right, Ryder? Yes. And that is because I think the first one—the writing is just so crazy that it wouldn't <laughs> be you. <laughs> um, Jeeringly, in the first sentence, I don't think. A lot of God, you know, a lot of God in there. I don't think you would you would have thought to put that in. Because
2: <laughs> he's godless, right? Good point. I am, I am <laughs> the infidel, right? right. right. This, this is
1: so I definitely think it's not number one. And then I think, uh, you know, going with the pirate Ahab speech is just too bold a choice for you as well.
2: <laughs> so you think, think number he- two? Is... I think
1: Ryder played it safe, basically. Although right. it's a good... it's You know, I'm not positive, so... All
2: right. I, I think it can't be number three because it number three sounds familiar to me. Round Perdition's Flames sounds like some shit I've heard before. And like I said, I either read it somewhere or it's in the Wrath of Khan. And oh. I also don't think that Ryder knows the word imprecation because I've never <laughs> heard it before. So it seems implausible to me that Ryder has... Yay! Hey, what's the imprecation um i don't even really know what it means um let's see here. yeah Num- see,
1: so you're just projecting your own <laughs> Sadness, of knowledge that's onto writer
2: um let's see here number two i i think writer tried to throw us with the word palimpsest. uh palim-
1: palimpsest
2: palimpsest
1: yeah i think palimpsest
2: so too. the whales <laughs> palimpsest whiteness Teething among the waves could stab a man in the back with despair. Was it any wonder Ahab seized upon its fiery hunt? It is a good line, though if yeah. it's not yours, writer, That you, you could use that in uh, some Moby Dick fan fiction. Um.
1: Oh my God, dickfic!
2: Wow, dickfic, love it!
1: Oh my God, dick, dickfic. <laughs> dickfic. Uh,
2: so I—I got to go with number two. I got to go with number right, two as so, well. All right. So I was a complete failure, but but. I
0: think we've discovered that Moby Dick fan fiction is a really awesome idea. Yes, yes. Because I mean, it's pretty. It's pr- like I could not believe. Like I unfortunately only grabbed Moby Dick because I was like, oh, I'll do a big a big classic. I'll take Moby Dick, and then I got up here and had and to write it, and I gave myself like a half an hour Too before hard. we started recording, and I opened up the book and I was like, oh my <laughs> god. Uh, and, like, yeah, and, and even just picking quotes was too hard because, I mean, there's, like, the paragraphs are so long. And, I mean, I knew I wanted to do the Pip quote because that's my favorite, one of my favorite Dork. quotes. Of oh, God, like I'm sorry. Just something you might check. Oh, come on. I think that's, <clears throat> that's the classic moment in the book. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like Dork. it's I agree. often Dork. referred to. Um, and so. <coughs> so sorry. Todd, you're, you're acting like, who are you au- playing to right now? Like, our audience is a bunch of literary dorks, too. So I'm just saying, if you got a
2: favorite quote from Moby Dick, you're a dork.
1: Mine is from the first page about bringing up the rear of every funeral yeah. procession that you meet. That's a really good quote. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that. I was yeah, going to was...
0: do, yeah, I mean, there were a couple that were, like, also... would have been too obvious. Like, but, you yeah. know, the ones from the first chapter in particular where he talks about how everyone is drawn to the sea. So I was like, oh, I want to, but I also knew that it's uh, that if I was going to mock something, I should m- mock the whiteness of the whale chapter, which is what I was trying to do. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, uh,
1: you palimpsest. did a good job. Yes, you did. Well, did what? what does did, palimpsest
0: mean? Palimpsest is like a, a blank quote, a blank uh, sheet of paper, like it's old, oh. old scroll paper that's uh, been scraped off. Like, oh. That has no words
2: on it. Dork. Uh, sorry. Jeez.
1: but I <laughs> so, we all learned something I, today. I yeah, I think we
2: I think I'm a better person now for having read two huge quotes from from Moby Dick. Todd,
0: you should really read the book. It's amazingly readable. It's really I am
2: a, I'm probably going to read it uh, You're never going to read it. Let's be This summer it's on my reading yeah. list. Um You've just going to
0: download it to the iPod. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I got it. It's on my phone. I got it right here in front of me right One, now. I and, record uh, an
0: audiobook
1: version of it. <laughs> and, uh,
2: yeah, that would be great.
1: You could do it. You have kind of a gravelly voice. It would be good.
0: But my pirate accent needs work. It
1: sure does. And they're not pirates. Arr! <laughs> Arr,
0: Demetri. We're going to get the white whale. Arg! that uh, white whale. Perdition's round the horn. What round Perdition. Flame.
2: <laughs>
1: okay, well, great try, Ryder. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Not really. It didn't work at all. So.
1: Everyone's a winner.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, next time we'll have to pick like C-Spot, Rotten, or, you know, something a little bit more basic.
2: I've got some ideas for that. Me too. Time. Don't you guys want Well,
0: worry. that was it for, uh, yeah. what is it? Crazy Classics? What do we call it? Crazy
1: Classics with two Ks. <laughs> classics <laughs> Corner. Oh no, you're <laughs> Crazy right. Classics Corner
0: with three Ks.
1: No, we can't do that. Three Ks, never allowed. <laughs> oh,
2: that's no, right. that's a great oh point. That's a a fantastic point. I'm so
0: glad you
1: caught that. Yep. All right. So we're not doing that.
2: Literary anti-Semitism.
1: Crazy quarter with two Ks. (laughs) Just two.
0: And that'll do it for this episode of Literary Disco. On behalf of Julia Pastel and Todd Goldberg, I'm Ryder Strong. We'll see you in two weeks.